Welcome to this podcast from the Carter Center. Good evening. I'm Kelly Callahan, Director of the Carter Center's Trachoma Control Program. I'm delighted to welcome you to Conversations at the Carter Center. The conversation series gives us an opportunity to discuss important issues with you, our friends and supporters, and through our webcast with our friends around the world. Tonight, we are especially honored to have Ambassador Circles and Legacy Circle members and guests here in our audience. Without your support, we could not do the important work that we do to improve health, support human rights, and deepen democracy around the world. Tonight is the last Conversations event of the 2014-2015 series. Please check our website in July to learn about the new lineup planned for this fall. We will kick off the next season with a special conversation in September that features President and Mrs. Carter. Please note, for the last 15 minutes of the program tonight, we will invite members of the audience who have questions to come to the microphones to ask questions. And now it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host this evening. Mr. Jim Irvin was president of the International Association of Lions Club from 1999 to 2000 and served as chairperson of the Lions Club International Foundation from 2000 to 2001. He has held many other positions within the association, including international director during 1992 to 1994. The Lions Club International Foundation has been a key supporter of the center's efforts to fight river blindness and trachoma for more than two decades. Since 1999, our two organizations have collaborated to eliminate blinding trachoma in Ethiopia, Mali, Sudan, Niger, and recently, Uganda. Past President Irvin has personally traveled to see our groundbreaking work in places like Amhara, Ethiopia, one of the most trachoma endemic regions in the world. Given the generous support of the Lions Club and past President Irvin's firsthand knowledge of our trachoma work, we are extremely grateful to have his perspective here tonight. Before we begin our discussion, I'd like to show you a brief video trailer from a new documentary on the Carter Center's trachoma work that will air early next year. This short trailer demonstrates how partners and community can work together with proven and cost-effective strategies to prevent and control blinding trachoma. Please join me in watching. destination in mind and you take a turn but it opens into a new vista that one that you didn't expect and you you take the next turn and it's urban the next turn and it's a green space opens up you just never know what's around the next turn today is saturday and we are driving to a market place. So they're all having to walk two, maybe three hours to come to the market. This is Amhara, Ethiopia. 
20 million people live in Amhara, and a quarter of the population is susceptible to this blinding disease caused by a bacterial infection called Chlamydia trochomatis. Trachoma is the leading cause of preventable blindness in the world, and this is the heart of it. It is transmitted through a fly. This fly breeds on human feces. What happens is someone that has chlamydia, trochomatis, has discharge out of their eyes and their nose. So this eye-seeking fly lands on this discharge and then takes that on its feet to the next person and then the next person, and then the next person. And what happens is, if my body's a barometer of chlamydia trochomatis, when I get to about here, my eyelid starts to turn in. My eyelashes start to scrape my eye. So my eyelashes start to scrape my cornea. And when that starts to happen, it's painful. So I want to pull my eyelashes out. Oh, this is a local remedies, it's an epilation tool. So I, I get a tweezer, something, and I pull my eyelashes out. Well, when those new eyelashes start growing back in, they start to scrape the cornea again, and as it scrapes the cornea over time, the person eventually becomes blind. Trachoma traditionally affects the people at the end of the road. They're the forgotten people. They are people with very little political voice. Because trachoma is a hidden disease, it's very difficult for people to care. Well, we do care. And we want to reach all of those people. The Carter Center is different. We work in collaboration with the Ministry of Health. We are using the government structure. We will mobilize you know, the people. We'll surround you know, all the town. We have seen you know, the impact of health education. The safe strategy is a strategy that's built on four pillars, surgery, antibiotic, face washing, and environmental improvement. So this is a community latrine just off the side of the road so that when people come to the market, they have a place to defecate. This is all a community effort. And when the community is committed, anything is Everything you see here is collected from the nearby village. They purchase nothing. Nothing. So they're using their time, their energy, and resources that are easily available. I'm going in. 
Good luck. All these bags that make up the wall are from their own sacks. And every piece of wood in here, every stick has come from the community. So this is really nice. I don't see flies on the children's faces. I don't see flies on the adults' faces. See, look at how beautiful her face is. Her eyes, no trichiasis, beautiful. You know, in my culture, they say the eyes are the window to the soul. Assalamu alaikum. Saying that after the treatment, I'm quite healthy, I can take care of myself, and I'm leading a very happy life. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. See, this is why we do what we do. This is the safe strategy in action. Surgery to take care of everyone that has had trichiasis. Antibiotics to reduce the disease burden. Pfizer agreed to donate this drug. Face washing so the fly has nothing to feed on, on the eyes and the nose. And latrines so the fly has no place to breathe. This is very practical demonstration of how it is possible to get rid of fly population and by doing that, rid of Krakow. First time I saw the video, the trailer, I was moved. It documents the work that we do in the field to such a degree that you can see the safe strategy, surgery, antibiotics, facial cleanliness, and environmental improvement. You can see it working. And in seven minutes, I got to see the very beginning all the way to the end. Um, and as we all can see in a very short period of time, the safe strategy works. The Carter Center has been doing this um, in partnership with others in terms of trachoma and eliminating blinding trachoma since 1999. And I think it's really poignant to see the Lions Club, the, the actual logo on the, the truck that's delivering health education and, and on a shirt, and to actually see that the, the Lions aren't just there in spirit, the Lions are there and physically go there quite often. So I wanted to start the conversation and you know, reflecting upon the video that we just watched. And Jim, you've been to Ethiopia five times and all in with working with the Carter Center and looking at the trachoma control program. And maybe you can give us your perspective on what you've seen. Kelly, it's uh, just a small part when you look at this and think about what a large country and a beautiful country that Ethiopia is. And to know that there's such a scourge on those children and people there that have been going on for hundreds of years. And many of them felt that it was only natural for them to go blind. They had no idea that what they had was preventable or reversible. 
And on my first trip, I had an opportunity to meet with the president of Ethiopia, and I shared with him the partnership that we had created and what we were doing with the Carter Center, and that we wanted the government to help us and work in partnership with us toward reducing blinding trachoma. And the first thing he said to me was, we would love to be able to do everything with you, but we don't even have an economy. We live off of the world, uh, USAID and other organizations, so we don't have a means of really helping our own people. And then on my next visit there, when we spent more than 10 days all around Amhara, out in the bush, going from the top of the mountain and seeing how those people lived, down into those villages, and seeing all of those children that were infected with the, with the uh, trachoma and how they were spreading it. But what I want you to think about tonight, you saw those pictures. All of you here are either parents or grandparents are gonna be. And there's nothing that you love more than to pick up that baby and hold that baby and let them touch your face. Well, that's how part of this infection gets spread because they love those kids just like you love yours. And so what you're doing and what we're doing together uh, is very, very important. And I know that uh, in all of those trips, each one had a different meeting or different things were taking place. And of course, when, uh, when we were there at the 10th anniversary and some of the, uh, Dr. Frieda Hall and some of the vice presidents uh, from Pfizer went with us, and I believe that that was their first time being in Ethiopia and seeing what was taking place, and especially the benefit from the Zithromax that they were providing. And I think they were, they were extremely uh, excited and appreciative of what it was doing. And of course, Sharon, it was her first trip, and she just couldn't believe what was being done, but more importantly, how great the need still is. And Sharon's your wife. Yeah, Sharon's my wife. She was able to go on that trip yeah, with you as well. So over those five trips that you've taken in 2000, we started in 17 districts in the Amhara region, and now we're in all 167 districts of the Amhara region. So you've seen this growth and this scale up over time. And given the logistics, I mean, can you even imagine that we could have gotten to this stage, given what the president said then, and now you look at the success that we've seen so far? You know, when we first went in, and some of the things that you learned is, you know, in our country, in our towns and cities, we call them mayors. Well, the village chief, in most cases, has to approve anything that's done. And if that chief doesn't believe that what you're trying to do to help those people is the right thing to do, they don't let you do it. So teaching them and teaching the health workers to teach them was one of the first things that we had to overcome. And of course, when you look at the beginning and where we are today, it's amazing because they are truly trying to help themselves. And it's, there was a remark in the video that the Carter Center is different. We work with the Ministry of Health. We're also community-based and oriented. And we work with the Health Development Army and the health extension workers in the context of Amhara in Ethiopia. So we have scaled that program massively to size. So in the beginning, in 17 districts, we were only talking about 
maybe two or three or 400 people. And now we're talking about 38,000, 40,000 people and mobilizing them in massive campaigns. So, so given that and given your five visits and the remarkable achievements to date, what's one of your favorite memories? Well, after my first visit there with the president of the country, I went back on another visit and there was a area that had been a blind school and uh, it had gotten to where it was dilapidated and the government was no longer able to continue to keep it up. And of course, you saw how important the water is. And so the lines of Ethiopia had decided that they were going to help to rebuild this school for the blind people there and help to train them in various ways. And so when I go back for that visit and we're put, they're putting in a water well, and the uh, Dr. Tabebe, who's a lion and helps head up a lot of the program for the lions, said to me, I have a surprise for you. And the surprise was when I walked up there, the person that headed the project was the former president of Ethiopia, and he had become a lion. That's an amazing That's story. Awesome. That's just yeah. amazing. Um, it's... it's <clears throat> The Lions are a formidable force in terms of partnership and exciting someone about service and partnership. So maybe you could give us a little bit of background about the Lions Carter Center Site First Initiative and how that started. Well, we, uh, in 1988, the World Health Organization said to our Lion leaders that there were some 40 million people in the world that were blind and 80% was preventable or reversible and that if something wasn't done, within 20 years, those numbers would be doubled. So our board at that time voted to begin what was known as the Site First Program. And we raised funds through the Lions organization, $146 million from Lions, to begin this program. And then in 1996, the Lions of Georgia had put forth President Carter's name to receive the Humanitarian Award from Lions Clubs International. He was selected by the president and the trustees of the foundation. And of course, that happened in Montreal, and he came to receive that uh, award. And with it, of course, was a $250,000 check from the foundation to the Carter Center. That was the same year that I was elected as the international third vice president of Lions. And at that meeting, we began to talk a little bit about maybe what we could do together because the Carter Center had just prior to that taken over the River Blindness Foundation and was beginning to start their work mm -hmm. with, with the River Blindness. So as we began to talk, uh, we set up a meeting and President Carter and members of staff along with our executive officers met in Chicago and we put together a couple of pilot programs in 1996 that began later, and that was the beginning of our work together. And in 1999, when I became the international president, we had a board meeting here in Atlanta and at the Carter Center, and that's when we made a major commitment and a major partnership together, and we committed at that time $15 million, and that's how we began our work in, of course, onchocerciasis, and then later in trachoma. 
and it's been a fabulous partnership, and we've just been extremely proud of, of not only the partnership, but of the successes that we've been able to share. It's really fantastic, and another long-standing partner of the Carter Centers, and with this has been Pfizer. And I know that you went to Pfizer in New York City in 2000 with President Carter to have a conversation there and thank them for the donation that they committed to making. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that and how they were, the team there, the employees received you. Kelly, after I had been to Ethiopia and, and seen a lot more, uh, we had also been uh, at that time going back and forth uh, to Geneva with the meetings with Vision 2020 and, and the Carter Center had joined with us and we knew what the, uh, the International Trachoma Initiative was doing. But I said to President Carter and Dr. Hardman at the time, I just feel like that if we can get Pfizer to help us with Azithromax, that maybe we can move faster and do more. And I knew that they weren't going to give me a meeting, but I was certain that if President <laughs> Carter asked for the meeting, that we could get it. And so it did happen. And when we went there, of course, uh, Mr. Steer was the chairman, and uh, Mr. McKinnell was there. And uh, so as we began to talk, there was some uh, conversation about uh, a need that Pfizer had in South Africa as it related to the HIV-AIDS virus. And uh, so the president shared with them that there were certain countries that the Carter Center was already working in and that it was endemic in those areas and that he felt certain that they could begin the distribution of that medication. And then Mandela would see that it was needed in uh, South Africa. And then from that, we shared what we wanted to do in partnership uh, with the Lions and the Carter Center and said that we would be very honored if they would consider uh, letting us have the Zithromax for the work that we would do in, in uh, Mali and, and uh, Ethiopia and, and Uganda and Sudan. And, and so uh, Mr. Steer's comment was, it's a done deal. And that was the beginning of what you see today. And I can tell you, if any of you know anybody from Pfizer, and I know we have some of them here today, show your appreciation and thank them for what they're doing because the value of it is, is tremendous. It's mm -hmm. probably now over $2 billion, but the good that it's doing, they're a great corporate corporation and a, and a great sponsor, and I hope that all of you will say thanks to Pfizer for what they're doing. So when you heard it's a done deal, were you just elated? Oh, I, I was happy. I'm telling you, it was, that was a great day. Yeah, I bet it was. And President yeah. Carter was there, and you're all there, and it's a done deal. It's a done deal. And then we went over to the factory where the, some of the medication was being made. And their employees were there, and they were hanging from the rafters. And I mean, it was, it was amazing to see. But they wanted to hear President Carter, and he shared with them the value of what they meant as an employee of mm. Pfizer and what the medication that they were making and how it was changing human lives. Mm. It's a fantastic story. There's been um, several studies that have been done that a, a, a single dose of Zithromax can improve the outcomes of childhood mortality, that children, 
will not die um, based upon the byproduct of this. So the trachoma control program in its efforts to eliminate blinding trachoma has byproducts as well as part of oh, its absolutely. success story. So it's just really amazing. And when we talk about success, you know, we talk about, um, we talk about a single person not going blind um, by this horrendous disease. And at this stage in time, um, since 1999 to 2014, we've been able to collectively distribute the Carter Center and the Lions Carter Center Site First Initiative with Pfizer. 113 million doses of Zithromax have been distributed so far. It's just an amazing feat. Um, also, 477,000 surgeries to turn the eyelids um, have been done. We've also been present in over 12,300 villages delivering health education. Um, over 3.1 million latrines have been constructed. Um, these are just amazing numbers in a very short period of time, 16 years. We've also assisted Ghana in eliminating blinding trachoma in two states in Nigeria. And Mali and Niger and Sudan are on very fast pace to have some excellent news over the course of the next couple of years. So when we talk about success, you know, it's, um, it's those numbers that are amazing and that that one individual is not going blind and then that's multiplied out by so many people, particularly in Amhara, um, where it's just a, a disease that's entrenched in the population. And then you have the byproducts of success. You have latrines where women um, are no longer stigmatized for defecating in the open bush, where they feel safe um, and that it raises their status. You have byproducts in a country's gross national product. I mean, Ethiopia, if, if people are not going blind and they can farm, um, things change. An entire nation can change. Um, and also, it's something to be proud of. The Lyons Carter Center Site First Initiative is the largest MDA mass drug administration in the world that's been done at this point in time at scale. So there's proven strategies that have been extremely successful. Um, and you know, I can grab little pieces of success, like the woman in the video who had trachiasis surgery on both of her eyes and was not going to go blind from this disease. And I immediately start crying. Yeah. I get very emotional, especially with something like that. A woman sitting in front of me thanking me that she's not going to go blind. And it's hard to have a favorite success as part of this big story. But if you had one. Sally, you know, when we went for the 10th anniversary and uh, Sharon and I were, along with the other people, were going through some of the villages. And we went into this uh, one family's home, and this lady was so proud. She wanted to show us her house. She wanted us to go inside because they no longer had the animal, the calf, living inside the house with them. They had built a separate area outside, and then she took us around and showed us the latrine that had dug outside her house. And I can tell you, she was more proud of that than if she had a new Mercedes. <laughs> she, it was really something. But that's, that's what you're doing. You know, we, in this country, we talk about quality of life. You know, we say, well, we're going to work on our quality program, and we get a new house or a new car or a new boat, and we feel like we're doing something. But if you think about those countries and what you saw, 
is an improved quality of life for millions of people is to not only save their sight, but in many cases to have one good glass of drinking water every day. Mm. Now that's an improved quality of life. Absolutely. And the, one of the things that the video, the trailer, the 60-minute video will talk more about is the lack of water and how difficult it is for people to get two or three handfuls of water to keep their children's faces cleaned and, and for their own facial cleanliness every day. So um, as part of the story of success, there's... Well, in one of the, in one of the, uh, tri at the same trip, we were going into some of the schools and uh, at first it was very difficult to get the schools to accept the SAFE program. But once they understood what it was all about, the teenagers in the school created a play about the SAFE strategy. And they would put that on for the smaller kids. And they took on the responsibility to make sure if they had a sibling, a younger brother or sister, that every day before they left, whether they were going to school, whatever, is that their face was washed and that they were clean. And then they had put where they had built their latrine, they took a, a bucket about the size of a paint bucket and they put little pin holes in it and filled it with water and when they came out of the latrine, that's the way they washed their hands and their face. So it was the beginning of them getting to understand how important face washing was for them. It's been a revolution. I mean, you know, the video that we showed had, the children had lots of flies on their faces, and there are still, I mean, we'll talk about challenges, There's, there are still lots of flies and lots of children with faces that um, have flies on them, but f as a progressive success story, there has been more water points, there are more people that are changing their behavior, they're using these tippy taps, as they're called, and people are washing faces, so we see less flies on the faces. So it's been a huge success and really a cultural behavioral change story. Well, it has, and, and we have, uh, we're proud of the successes that we've had, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. We have so much more to do and we must continue. And that's why all of you as, as supporters of the Carter Center, that's why you're very important in this process. We need you to help us help others. So in, in terms of that, Jim, let's talk about challenges. You know, there's, there's lots of challenges in terms of civil conflict, such as South Sudan and accessing areas there. Um, some places are hard to reach as well. In Mali and Niger, we have challenges there. And then sustaining these marked impact points that we've had in terms of facial cleanliness and latrine use. Access to water is an issue. Rebuilding these latrines is also an issue. And funding, um, attracting more partners, raising awareness globally. Um, there's been a, a great upsurge in the global trachoma program. Um, there's a great need and proven cost-effective strategies. But, you know, again, there are incredible challenges. Do you can you pinpoint or, or pull a, a, a challenge that you see as one of the greatest that needs to be overcome? Well, the, the greatest right now, I think, is the F&E, is the continuous work on teaching them, of getting them the water, of uh, getting them to understand how important that is. 
uh, and as well as, as the latrines. And uh, when you look at the, the millions of people that are there and you hear the numbers, you think it's big, but it's not. It's just a very small amount compared to the size of the country and the needs and what's left to be done. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us. And Ambassador Peters, in her opening remarks this evening, talked about those that are at risk. 232 million people globally are, are at risk of um, blinding trachoma. And we have five years. The, the goal is to eliminate blinding trachoma by 2020. So we have great odds ahead of us. And if there was anything that you could do, if you had a magic wand and you couldn't just take away trachoma like that, but if you had a magic wand and you could do one thing right now for those 232 million or those 20 million, even in Amhara, where you've been several times, what would that one thing be that could be a quick, immediate fix? Well, I think if I uh, had the higher power from upstairs, I think first thing I would say that uh, I would hope that, uh, and I know everybody has different beliefs and religions, but I would hope that God would continue to give us the strength to serve and the courage to care. Because right now we need more people. We need, if, if, if we could get corporate America, not just Pfizer and, and some of the pharmaceuticals, but all these people that are making big money to realize that there's a great need for humankind around the world. And many of you all work for these corporations and may have some influence on them. But if I could do that, I'd say, Lord, please bring us more people to help us. We're proud of what we've done, but we need more people to make this thing, to eliminate the backlog of preventable and reversible blindness. And that's, um, that segues us lovely into the future. And, and our partnership with the Lions is so important, and Pfizer, the Hilton Foundation, um, and all of our, our individual donors that are, that are staying the course with us. Um, and we need to stay the course. Um, we need to work harder. We only have five more years. So in terms of that, there's still quite a bit that well, needs to for, be done. Well, from our commitment, you know, after we began, after the 99 meeting here, each year uh, we got our international president and officers to come here to visit with President and Mrs. Carter so that they could see their commitment to our partnership as well as to be updated and, and to see how from those first days of what was being done to the numbers today. And you look at Paul Emerson and Frank Richards and, and the work that they've done to help contribute. Uh, it's amazing and they've seen it grow too. And to both of you, thank you for what you've done. I know President Carter became a lion when he left the Navy. And he was motivated by a great need to serve. And that brings me to a, a question I've been wanting to ask you. What motivated you to become a lion? Well, I, uh, my neighbor was a member of the Lions Club, and they used to have what they call an out-of-den every fifth Tuesday. And he'd always call me and say, Jim, why don't you come over and help me? And he had a, he had a little lake camp between our house and his house. And that's where all, at that time, it was all men, and they would come out and cook steaks and barbecue and have a big time. And, and, but I was always there cooking. And, and about five or six years later, one of the members said to Benny, said, Benny, when are you going to ask Jim to be a member of the Lions Club? And he said, hell, I thought I had. <laughs> so, 
So that's why I got to be a member of the Lions Club in 1977. So you thought you were a Lions for well, a year? Well, I felt like I was. I was doing a lot for <laughs> So what motivates you to serve? Well, when you have the opportunity uh, to be in a position I've been in and you see the needs around the world, trachoma, uh, river blindness, people going hungry, uh, there's a great need. And, and there's never enough of us that are willing to do that. And I get excited. Uh, I always say to my Lions friends, we have shared opportunities, but we have shared responsibilities. And I think that's the same for all of us in this room. It's, it's wonderful when you see the smile on the face, when you see that woman right there that smiled, knowing that she's not going blind. It, you can't get a better reward than that, in my opinion. So that's why we do it, is, is seeing the good that comes out of it. Well, I've heard you say several times in the past couple of years, and I quote, it's heartwarming to see a miracle happen. Oh, it is. And I've seen you get um, pretty choked up. You've told a couple of stories. We were with President Carter a couple of weeks ago, and I saw you um, try and stop a tear or two from coming down. Well, you know, if, if you look at that, that film, and if it doesn't do something for you, then you, you don't have any feelings, you know? And it's those, it's those warm and fuzzies in your life that really make a difference. And, uh, you know, there's nothing embarrassing or shameful about shedding a tear about people that are in need and you having an opportunity to help them. Absolutely, and um, so, you know, that, that quote, it's heartwarming to see miracles happen. This partnership that we have is, is a miracle in itself. It's, it's unique, very unique, and I understand Lions is coming up on their 100-year anniversary. In 17, we are going to be celebrating 100 years of service uh, we're very proud of what we've done. Uh, we're now in 208 countries and geographical areas around the world. Uh, with every Lions Club uh, working under our We Serve motto to make their community and the world community a better, safer place to live. We've been very proud that President Carter has, has been a Lion. We feel like that when he served as district governor and then chairman of the Council of Governors in Georgia, went to that international convention and saw people from different countries around the world and the work that's being done, we know without a doubt that it had a great influence on what he began and wanted to do here at the Carter Center. It's so really we're very amazing. proud of him as a lion and, and he's been very supportive of us and we're grateful for it. Really fantastic. Um, you know, we talked about a bit of the challenges and we've talked about partnership and and i just want to mention as we talk about miracles and the spread of the lions that our offices our programs in ethiopia mali niger and uganda are heavily influenced by the lions in country so not only do we have a partnership with you but we have a partnership on the ground that very active. Our engagement with the Lions, the, the Lions Club of Ethiopia has been at every single mass drug administration since 1999. And, and they're very proud to be a part of it. And, and I mean, it just, they're elated at, at what we're able to help them do and they want to be a part of it. And I know that there, there's a lot of you in here that are members of other organizations and we applaud you for the efforts that you're making 
and because we know that you're making a difference in some way in someone's life. But we're very proud of those lines, and, and uh, we feel like that our organization, Lions Clubs International, are the world's greatest doers. We try to do what's right uh, for the benefit of humankind. Well, and I think that will lead beautifully into my last question. You're in this for the long haul, but why river blindness? Why trachoma? Why blinding trachoma? Why is Lyons specific <clears throat> on that disease? Well, in 1925, Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf, came to our international convention, and she asked Lyons to become Knights of the Blind in the Crusade Against Darkness. And as we worked in our communities and collecting eyeglasses and doing surgeries and things throughout communities here in America and other parts of the world, and then when the WHO came to us and shared with us the need, we felt that it was the only thing that we should do, mm. is that we should accept that responsibility and do all we could to help eliminate the backlog of preventable and reversible blindness. And we're gonna be there with the Carter Center and other NGOs until we win that battle. Well, it's great to do it with you. Thank you. And with that, we're gonna ask the audience if they have any questions that they'd like to ask. Please feel free to use the microphones. There's microphones on either side of the stage or either side of the seating area. Please feel free to come right up. Kelly, I think you can hear me. Yes, ma'am. Um, Ambassador Marianne Peters just asked about a research project that we have um, formulated and are looking at starting in the Amhara region of Ethiopia. Um, Dr. Paul Emerson is here tonight. You saw him in the video. He's the former director of the Carter Center's Trachoma Control Program and now is with the International Trachoma Initiative and, and with his great stewardship, the Amhara region of Ethiopia has distributed an enormous amount of drug. Um, however, we're still seeing that the infection rate is staying at a certain stagnant level. And we think that um, in these areas where the disease is really entrenched, we might need what I'm terming a silver bullet, if you will. So looking at targeted Zithromax, use of the drug, 100% of the population, and then targeting children, ages one to nine, the second week, and then targeting them again the third week. So quick succession and a sustained facial cleanliness and environmental improvement. Um, we're looking at getting that off the ground in the very near future. And thank you for that plug. If anyone would like to donate, I'll be taking donations shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're really excited about this, and um, Dr. Emerson has graciously agreed to um, enter into this study with us, so we're looking forward to it. We think, and the theory is, this is theoretical, um, it's something that was hatched probably in my sleep, but theoretically, if we can get this done quicker, we have less suffering, and we use less drug, um, and we don't have to sustain the efforts. We can look at environmental improvement, facial cleanliness, water. Um, we can look at other options and other things that are necessary um, once we stopped the infection and the transmission of the blinding trachoma or chlamydia trochomatis. So 
we're looking at it and we hope to start it in the next couple of months. Um, it's, a, it's a really big study and it's very exciting. Thank you for asking about it. You talked about having a goal of elimination in 2020. Yeah. So do you have metrics around you know, what, what, what your baseline was and what's happening in terms of reduction and that kind of stuff? And are you able to share that or will you be sharing that later in the program? That's an excellent question. Thank you. We do have absolute baseline. And when we started, what we do is we carry out um, surveys to look at the prevalence of TF, trachoma follicular, in children ages one through nine, and then the population, and also TT, trachoma trachiasis, how many people in the population have um, at one to five eyelashes or more than five eyelashes touching the globe. So we look at all of this and we have a baseline of when we started, and then we start doing the interventions, all four pillars of the SAFE strategy, and then we look at that after a certain number of years. So we have markers and we have baselines. So we have um, quite a bit that we have been able to document and put into maps and we can show colors and red is good, red is bad, green is good, and we can see that over time, what has happened in each country where we work. And so far, in um, all of the countries where we started, we were in mostly red areas, and they're slowly moving into orange and some in green. So we are marking and we can see progress. I'm probably not the only one that's never heard of trachoma before, but <laughs> I had a couple of technical questions. It seems like two main vectors are the bacterium and the flies. And I, in hearing articles about what DDT did with bed bugs and how many years, we, is, are there people doing research on the fly reduction process or are there people doing research on the actual bacterium? We know the Dithromax, I guess, works on that bacteria, but are there also uh, sources of that bacteria? Is it in the ground? I just don't know. That's an excellent question. We're carrying out studies with the University of California, San Francisco, the Proctor Foundation. We've done quite a few studies with them over time that Dr. Emerson had initiated. And we've looked at infection rates. We've looked at different aspects of the follicle in the eye. Um, we've also looked specifically at targeting what's called wash interventions, water, sanitation, and hygiene specifically. And also we've done studies with Emory University. There's lots of different intervention studies that are being done. Um, and also looking at infection rates. Um, there's been studies on how can we look at the face to see the discharge on the eyes and the nose and then count the flies putting in community latrines and household latrines. Does the fly population go down? So there is quite a bit that's been done over time to help us formulate moving forward. The Carter Center has a program review every year. We bring together all of our partners in our countries annually. We are data-driven and outcome-oriented. So we look at the data. We sit down in this room and we put the data on this big screen and we talk about it. Um, we also talk about what has worked and what has not worked. And we've done this for 15 years, so we have proceedings that are about this thick for the past 15 years. So this year, we actually looked back. We went through all the studies that have done, been done, 
what worked, what did not work, what needs to be changed. Um, so we called that program review looking back, moving forward, um, and took what was already done. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And what can we do? How can we use that information to move this program forward in a faster way? We only have five years. So sort of a long answer to your question, but thank you. You spoke of uh, trying to recruit new interest in your programs, your health programs, your peace programs. Um, I recently discovered the Junior Philanthropist Program through the Carter Center, and I've sponsored one of my students. And um, I'm wondering what the Lions Club does to generate um, interest in the youth. Well, we have uh, several youth programs. Uh, we have our LEO program, which is for the younger uh, young adults in, in Europe and in Latin America. And then here in, in the United States, the age are for high school students uh, that are members of the LEO Club. And then we have a uh, program that we call the Lions Quest program, which is a life skills program. And that is right now in about 35 different countries where we're trying to uh, help the young people to grow into productive <coughs> adults. Uh, to avoid uh, drugs and alcohol and, and violence prevention. So we're, we're very big with helping our youth. Jim, I understand your 13-year-old grandson, Dylan, is going to go to uh, an annual meeting in Honolulu. So uh, He's going to be excited. I told him he had to wear some glasses that he couldn't see through. But this is part of that. You're, you're not just generous. Well, we won't talk about that. Well, He'll, he'll have an opportunity to meet uh, young people his age from all over the world and in the meetings that we have at the International Convention, and he will see firsthand and listen to them of what they do in their communities uh, to make life better. So this is, at that age, you're not just instilling this in, in children across the Americas, but in America, no, no. you're doing it with your own grandson. Oh yeah, all, all over the world, and, and with our grandson, we try to keep, keep them involved to see the value. Uh, you know, I think uh, all of us uh, need to be providing some community service in some way, and uh, the sooner we teach our young people uh, how important it is, the better it's going to be for all of us, because you know, it's, it's, it's real important. You can think about the young people. They don't make up 100% of our population, but they make up 100% of our future. They don't care how much we know till they know how much we care. Hmm. Pure and simple. Very wise words. Yeah. I think we all know that in Latin America, Africa, uh, Asian countries, that there's a real, real problem big problem of lack of potable water. And uh, this is a concern that, that many of us have. We're Rotarians, and we are bringing in uh, freshwater wells for the Maya uh, because the government and the hospitals will never take care of them. And just one uh, couple of figures. The average lifespan of Mexican in Mexico is about 78 years. The Maya, the government or hospitals will never take care of them. Life's, lifespan is 40 years. Infant mortality rate for the uh, Mexican uh, is about six per 100, six per thousand, and for the Maya is 168 per thousand. The, and the, when they drink water, it's portable water. 
And I have a suspicion, even though they're washing their faces and this and that, that the water they're getting, if they're bringing in from the countryside and so forth, is not potable. And uh, this is what brings about deaths of children and also adults. So what is the Carter Center doing in terms of bringing in potable water? It's a really good question. Um, the, the Carter Center's flagship program is the, the guinea worm eradication program, and it's sort of where I got my legs um, in the past 17 years, 19 years, I started with guinea worm eradication. And that's always been the big question. Um, what are we doing about potable water? And the problem is, is that it's so expensive and it's so challenging, and all of our resources would go specifically only to water. Um, it, we advocate for water sources. We work with governments, with ministries of health. We work with other partners to advocate for water. Um, we provide filters in the guinea worm program to filter water, um, but we, we can't do it everywhere, so we, we focus on our niche of elimination, eradication, and control, and we advocate. We give specific line listings. We, again, are data-driven. We have line listings of every location where we're working and where is water, where water isn't. If there is water, does it need to be rehabilitated or repaired? And we provide those line listings to the Ministry of Health, to the ministries in the country, and to other partners as well, and try to advocate for something to be done in that particular area. It's a very, very challenging, challenging question, a challenging topic as well. With finite resources, what do you focus on? And um, unfortunately, it, water is extremely expensive, so the Carter Center chooses to focus on those uh, diseases that uh, are affecting the poorest of the poor um, and trying to help eliminate those as quickly as possible. I was very much moved by the clips that I have seen. And recently, we just came from Kurdistan, from the refugee camps. That, uh, and I've been seeing all of the flies on the children's eyes. And those people, they've been displaced, uh, displaced, and their condition is very, very tough. So I'm wondering if the Lion Club or the Carter uh, Center has done anything in this part of the world. And if not, we're willing to uh, cooperate with you since we work very closely with the Kurdistan government. Well, I'm not sure exactly. I know that there's been some movement from some of our line members in, in uh, uh, England, but uh, we would be very happy to talk with you and sit down and see what we could do together. Fantastic. Thank you. Yes. We have time for one last question. Uh, my name is Jordan Ryan. I'm the new vice president for uh, peace programs here at the Carter Center. So oh, this is my, my first um, opportunity to uh, hear a presentation, and I just want to really congratulate uh, both, obviously, the Carter Center, but uh, the Lions Club and your personal involvement uh, started a long time ago. And I think the partnerships that you've spoken of are so important. But you had uh, intimated that one of the real difficulties that you face uh, is in the war-torn uh, countries. Mali now is fighting. Uh, South Sudan, obviously, where you've worked personally for a long time, uh, very, very, and spills over uh, into places like Ethiopia. What, what have you seen as in both of your since being able to talk to presidents and others, um, 
of that link between uh, the need for peace and obviously the, the most important thing of, of health, especially for those most vulnerable, and how is it impacted on the work of the Lions Club and the Carter Center? Is it just able to do nothing, or can you get around it? Or So that, that discussion a little bit among the link, um, but also the ability to work um, on that. And I think the final point that you made is on the engagement of the government uh, being so absolutely uh, important, especially uh, the village chiefs and the, the tribal leaders uh, can make such a difference if they get behind it. Uh, do you have programs where um, colleagues, say, in Ethiopia are going to, to Ghana or to Mali to do sort of bringing either lions together or, or workers from the field together to, to really share that kind of experience of what they've done locally uh, that can make a difference in terms of, of uh, the, the spreading of knowledge. Thank you. Absolutely. We have, uh, you know, uh, we have what's called an All-African Conference, of which uh, many of our line members are part of, and they go from country to country in helping to make certain that these programs are working effectively. But what happens when you ask about the government? As lions, we'd never give any money to any of the governments. It's always gone to some other NGO or either to the lions to do the work and to monitor and to make sure that everything is kept in perspective. But what happens in many parts of the world is that you'll have a government and you'll be working with them, and all of a sudden they get voted out of power and the other governments don't want to do anything. So there's always that challenge, whether it's as Lions or the Carter Center, but it's, it, it's a problem sometimes. I'd like to um, welcome you to the Carter Center and say congratulations. I'm thrilled that you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. I think the, the Carter Center is unique in that we're community-based, and we work directly with the communities and where we're working. And we truly believe that health is a bridge to peace. And it's evident. You know, President Carter brokered the uh, Sudan the ceasefire, the Guinea worm ceasefire, that uh, gained us entry and started an entire program in a country that was incredibly war-torn at the time. Um, I was fortunate enough to work there for five and a half years um, and experienced major challenges. However, the the program being based in the community made it sustainable. So despite the fact that we might have had changes taking place and there might be someone else in that environment, the community-based organizational structures that the Carter Center works with, um, whether it's guinea worm or blinding trachoma or river blindness, um, is pretty can pretty well overcome some of those issues. Um, we're thick-skinned and we're not risk-adverse. Um, there are places where the poorest of the poor are suffering, suffering from diseases that need to be eradicated or eliminated, and we go where we need to. We also rely on um, the expertise and the amazing communication of the chiefs and the village police and the elders and people that live there and we have very strong open lines of communication with them so that um, they can help us and tell us where to go and when to go and when not to go. And that's the essence of community-based. Um, so it's, uh, 
despite the fact that there are huge challenges and we have limited access at times, we try and take the access when we can um, and improve the quality of people's lives, gain trust, um, build that bridge using health and uh, building trust with the community so that they'll continue to work on things when we can't potentially be there. Um, so I'd like to thank all of you for coming. That's all the time we have tonight. Um, Jim, I'd like to express my deepest gratitude. You just really have been phenomenal, and I'm so pleased you. that you were here and able to share so many amazing stories and really focus on the essence of partnership. Um, I can't thank each and every one of you enough for your support and commitment to our work together. I think Jim really extolled the virtues of partnership and also you as individuals and what you can do um, and what you have done. I hope you've enjoyed the program and have uh, firsthand seen how your support helps stop needless suffering from preventable and debilitating diseases. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. We look forward to having those of us here in the audience join Ambassador Circle's events tomorrow. Good night, and please remember to tune in this fall for our next series of conversations. Thank you all again. This has been a podcast from the Carter Center, online at cartercenter.org.